Welcome to episode 23 of At Length. I'm Barry and he's Christian. This is our bi-weekly podcast where we pick a topic to discuss long enough to get a good combo going, but not long enough so that you turn us off in frustration. Hopefully. This week, it's been a little while, but we're back, ladies and gentlemen. It's been a while since we did this podcast right here. Gotta start it off with a little bit of Creed, because who doesn't love Creed? I did not know what that reference was. <laughs> I was going for about to go for Mace, welcome back, but I just showed my musical <laughs> oh, interest. <man. laughs> my musical uh, ignorance. Or mine, because I chose Creed over Mace. <laughs> but yeah, so this week, um, fresh off maybe about two weeks ago, E3 occurring. And for the uninitiated, E3 is the Electronic Entertainment Expo. It's usually the biggest event of the year detailing video games that are going to be released this year or next. And it's a opportunity for various vendors, whether you're talking about your Sonys, your Microsofts, your Nintendos, or even the indie companies to kind of show some of their fans as well as journalists that are covering the event, you know, the coolest things coming out. So wanted to talk a little bit of maybe, maybe about our games, our favorite games that we're looking forward to and get a little bit into something that we noticed changing over the last couple of years, and that's multiplayer in video games. Yeah, one interesting thing about this year's E3 is that Sony wasn't present, and I kind of want to get onto that more later because it helps us transition into the multiplayer gaming. But what did you see out there that caught your interest? Yeah, and adding on to that, Nintendo also wasn't involved, but in a way they were, and we can kind of get to that later, because they kind of had their own press conference during E3, but not at E3, which is this whole other thing. But yeah, I guess the, the biggest thing since Microsoft was there, I've been paying attention to the Master Chief Collection, which is going to have all the Halos come out, and I was a huge Halo fan back in the day playing Halo Combat Evolved on the PC, and kind of that was my first major taste of online multiplayer and they they're going to actually re-release the games one at a time compared to the trash release that they had on the xbox one i think that was a year or so ago it was a complete train wreck so i am definitely on board for that if they can get halo one two and three working correctly you know that as of right now my only multiplayer game i really play is smash brothers online and overwatch online that was a big one. If you want a serious shooting game, you got to get on Tetris 99. Throwing those dead blocks at people, there's no bigger rush. Forget Fortnite, all about Tetris 99. Now, now t- not too much out of the Xbox camp really had me going. One thing that I do like talking about shooters, though, is Borderlands 3. Yes, sir. I, I really enjoyed the first two the mechanics from the first one and then how they work the story into the second one. We'll kind of not talk about the pre-sequel because I mean, come on now, but the Borderlands three game really has me excited game that generated a lot of buzz was the Keanu Reeves in cyberpunk 2077. Yeah. That's an interesting one because I have yet to see the full trailer, but I mean, everybody posts the Keanu Reeves portions online everywhere and i became a fan of the studio cd project red who's creating that because of witcher the witcher series and witcher 3 
I think I'm maybe a hundred hours into that, and I'm only halfway through the game. Jesus. Yeah, but I'm I'm I am that role playing game guy who talks to everybody who does every single quest. So <laughs> I'll probably finish that game when I'm forty five. I like video games that provide that experience for you that almost every non playable character has some kind of story to it. So I can understand. I know I put quite a few hours in all of my playthroughs of Fallout four alone. And speaking of Fallout, Bethesda, the creators behind Fallout, they're they didn't really show too much, but the next Elder Scrolls game, I know you weren't as into it as I was, but I'm uh I think Bethesda has a lot to prove with that because of how bad, and I think we spoke on it on a previous episode, how bad the initial release of Fallout 76 was. So in a way, I think Elder Scrolls 6 will hopefully be their redemption story because I think if they mess up, if they mess up Elder Scrolls 6, yeah, Bethesda's going to be in hot water. And we can also use that as a reference point for multiplayer later because i think that was one of the biggest failures of fallout 76 was the forced multiplayer but not to dwell on that too much that's pretty much all out of e3 i was out of just strictly e3 rather that interested me out of the nintendo camp however there were two more characters announced for smash brothers yeah the the hero from dragon quest i'm not a huge dragon quest fan but i did like the mechanics that they show kind of with the spells and being able to incorporate some stuff from the dragon quest role-playing game into his combat and showing all the various heroes from the series and of course the fan favorite that people have been wanting since i believe melee is banjo kazooie and the biggest detractors because there's always big detractors when another character is released for Smash Bros. Is, is, of course, people saying, another sword character. and I'm, <laughs> But all of them are different. It's not another Fire Emblem character, which makes sense because Fire Emblem is one of the most popular franchises. And so is Dragon Quest and Persona. And they're all used differently. So and to me, there's 80 characters in this game now. Everybody has three or four that they, that they like. So... Just enjoy the game. Yeah. Even the complaining about sword users, you do realize this is a Japanese company. Like, swords in storylines are pretty common there. So, I really don't get all the complaining about it. It seems like the hero's going to be closer to Robin than Marth in the game. That's just what I'm getting from it. Of course, I haven't played it myself because boy doesn't get to go to e3 but yeah and so the hero will be released sometime this summer they haven't given a specific date and the banjo kazooie character will be sometime this fall which i think there's one more character i think that's out of this play pack or you know this season of character dlc which i mean at this point you're talking about 80 characters and i'm like man it's awesome. I think this there might be two more after that, because I think Joker was the first Yeah, one. you're right. Because Piranha Plant was kind of a freebie. So I'm really sad that Banjo-Kazooie doesn't come out before the hero, but, you know, I'll wait. I'm going to main Banjo-Kazooie day one. And continuing forward with the Nintendo Direct, which to me, the Nintendo Direct was the best thing out of the whole E3 release, you know, between... Uh, what was happening at E3 and then Nintendo doing their own press conference. Uh, 
Pokemon Sword and Shield. Now, I'm going to swing this your way, Christian, because I think you've played every single iteration of the Pokemon games. Yes, for better or worse, yes. Um, I'm actually really excited about it. I do love the idea of an actual 3D environment for a main series Pokemon game. Although, at this time, I feel like it's too long overdue. Does that make sense? Why did it take them 20 years to finally put it in a real 3D environment? I think this is the first system where you could really capture that 3D. The 3DS wasn't true 3D. And the Wii and Wii U, honestly, I mean, the the Wii, of course, was one of the best-selling systems of all time. But graphic-wise, it didn't get to 720. I think it was like 480 as far as... I think it was still standard definition. And I don't think it would have been rendered correctly. But uh, speaking of graphics, one thing that one of the developers mentioned as far as one of the... I think one of the characteristics or one of the features in the game is the Pokemon turning tall, I think, or getting big. I think they call it Dynamax. Yeah. And the main reason for that mechanic being introduced into the universe was because now... The switch you can put on a 1080 and it being attached to, you know, a lot of people have big screen TVs now and them saying that it's going to look nicer, which I guess kind of gets back to this probably being the first time they can do full 3D because they have the graphic capabilities to do it now, which is interesting. And was it The Witcher or they released the graphics of some game on the Switch? Yeah, it was Witcher 3 is coming to the Switch. Then they released the graphics on that. So it seems like the Switch is going to have a lot more graphic power than they've been putting into it. Um, I do like the idea of Shield and Sword and some of the mechanics they entered into it. The thing that I think I like most about it, however, was the gym battles that they showed and how gym battles are going to be these large televised events it's pretty much a sport which if you look at the series that's how the tournaments are in the in the cartoon in the anime rather they have that big stadium feel to it so i'm glad that they're bringing that to the actual game yeah more so than any other pokemon game the vibe that I got, especially with the big stadium battles, especially with the presentation, you know, graphical fidelity, how nice and polished everything looked, it kind of gave me a Pokemon Stadium type vibe, um, which I love Pokemon Stadium 1, and I like the fact that it was the first chance at Pokemon kind of simulating this big, almost like NBA, uh, NFL type environment with a lot of fervent fans and whatnot, so... For me, the biggest determiner if I was going to play a Pokemon game, because the last one I played was Pokemon X and Y, is I have to look at the Pokemon roster. Like, if the, if the Pokemon kind of look lame to me, I'm not going to play it. So, Have you seen the starters? Yeah, the starters. I don't, I don't know. I mean, we can almost do an, <laughs> we can almost do an entire po- uh, podcast on Pokemon, but, but we're not. But, uh, but I don't know. I want. I do wonder sometimes if Game Freak, the company behind Pokemon, they're running out of ideas. I mean, we're almost at a thousand Pokemon. <laughs> oh, if we're not already. 
I'm always a water starter because we can totally do an episode on Pokemon. You know that that would make me happy, but I do like the water starter in this one. It seems that, well, they always go for adorable for the starters, like try to make them as adorable as possible. So I'm not going to judge them just yet off of their base forms, but I'm not really too excited about this lineup, but hey. It's just starting. One thing I'm really not excited about are the legendaries they showed. Yeah, the legendaries do look really lackluster. But like you said, we don't want to make this episode about Pokemon, just E3 impressions. And speaking of Sony, you mentioned earlier Sony not being involved at E3. They're going to have their own press conference, I think sometime either later this summer or into the fall. I think it's going to be similar in the model that Nintendo has been doing their directs where they probably release their own video where they kind of control the content. They do their video releases and that kind of thing. And for me, what's interesting is I'm now officially PS4 gang, gang, gang. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Shout out to my boy, Daniel Bussey, you know, selling me his old PS4 cause he got a PS4 pro, but I'm really looking forward to seeing some footage on last of us two. And, uh, you know, just seeing what else they got out there. Um, I'm going to play through Horizon Zero Dawn, so be able to see what the sequel to that game is going to look like, too. So, I think the biggest news out of the Sony camp is the Final Fantasy VII remake. Yes. Remaster. Yes. And the fact that even the developers don't know how many parts it's going to be and how long it's going to take. That means we're probably going to get a Kingdom Hearts 3 release where... They announce it, and then maybe a decade later, we get the game, and it's not everything we hoped it would be. Because part one is going to be released March 20 of next year, 2020, and from the looks of it, because I've never played Final Fantasy VII, but I have a lot of friends who've played it, it's pretty much the opening city that uh, the game takes place in. That That's the first part, and I mean, this game, I think when it first came out, was two discs three discs so and they're actually changing certain parts of the game to flesh out the story so who knows what the iteration cycle is going to be are we going to get one every year one every six months one every two years we'll see i think we can go on and jump into the multiplayer conversation because with that One thing that I've noticed is, and it's not just me, it's something that the gaming community has taken note of for a while now, is the fact that you don't get the entire game when you purchase it. You know, you buy the game, and then there's additional packages. It used to be DLC was extra content to kind of hold you over until the next game. But now, buying extra parts of the game is essential to the story now. And what do you think of that? I think gaming development deadlines have gotten shorter in order to get content out because the fan base demands more quicker. And I think the problem, especially with a lot of games, you know, getting back to Fallout 76 and maybe even the Call of Duties out there is... You push up your developers having to create a product and they don't have time to test it out to get out some of the bugs, figure out some of the issues before it goes to uh, release. And then 
you have to try to entice players to keep playing it right. You know, this whole controversy of microtransactions and loot boxes and all these things that you have to entice people to keep playing with. And I think the game as a whole suffers because you're so worried about making money that you don't start off with just a good product. Because, I mean, if the product is good enough, you'll at least entice people to keep playing. That was the problem with Destiny, right? The first Destiny really didn't have a story, really didn't have anything enticing to kind of make you stay. And so much so that they ended up releasing, I think, the second one within a year. And it kind of had the same problem. And you just had to kind of stay with the game. And I think for, I know people who still play Destiny 2, it took about a year or so before it was actually like where it is now. You have this hardcore following of people who still play it. but And even dating back to Mass Effect 3, one of the things that was really controversial about that was the fact that one of the characters, Javik, was bonus content when originally he was supposed to be part of the story. So fans feel kind of cheated when they miss out on the story, but you pay full price for the game. So you pay $60 for the game. You pay $20 a couple months later for additional content. And I can see if it may be expanded on the game in a non-essential way. I think Bioshock Infinite did that. Where you pay for the whole game. You get the whole game. And then later they had the Burial at Sea downloadable content. And it wasn't essential to the game, but it was a second part to it. If that makes any sense. Yeah, and that's more of a rare example of you having a developer who actually wants to make a single-player game focus on the story and have that payoff, that emotional payoff at the end and just have this complete product that you don't have to force multiplayer into it. Although I think Infinite did have multiplayer, but it was literally like a separate thing. It wasn't necessary. Same thing I think Bioshock 2 had uh, multiplayer, but it wasn't at a detriment to the story. Kind of like Mass Effect. Mass Effect 3 had a pretty decent multiplayer element, but it wasn't essential to the series. And I think that's kind of getting rare and rare. I think multiplayer is bleeding more and more into being a necessity on, on your AAA games. And sometimes a lot of times at the detriment to the story and what the player is getting the game for in the first place. So as we slip into it, one of the things I noticed about the Pokemon game, the Dynamax Evolution, they're going to have spots over the map that you can go to and participate in raid battles. Pretty much it's four trainers against one giant Pokemon, and they say, oh, just grab a Switch and you know, share with your friends and you can all participate in this raid battle together. And I think it's really rude of Nintendo to just assume I have friends. <laughs> four friends. And four friends that have this Pokemon game. That have a Switch, have this Pokemon game. And are going to be available for it. Now... One thing is, they do allow you to connect over Wi-Fi, so hopefully they'll let you do the whole raid battles with strangers over Wi-Fi versus just doing them with friends. 
But if not, I think that's a glitch in the system to force people to play a single player game. But then you you only can really do this cool thing if you have four friends to play with or three friends rather. Yeah, and Nintendo has notoriously had the worst interface when it came to playing with your friends. You know, the whole friend code system was a thing back on the DS, 3DS, and I think, shoot, the Wii and the Wii U. But I think they've started to thankfully go away from that on the Switch, kind of like with Smash Brothers and Mario Kart. You can just connect with people just like you could on a Microsoft, on a on an Xbox system or PlayStation system. I think it's similar in the fact that so Pokemon is kind of combining their Pokemon Go, some of the things that they learned, their multiplayer, I guess, lessons learned from that experience with people going around the world capturing Pokemon in like certain areas. And they're taking that to Pokemon Sword and Shield as far as trying to make like this open world area kind of MMO kind of style raid thing. And they're kind of trying to meld it together. And I think one of the reasons Nintendo was so hesitant about making multiplayer just free to everyone is because they've always positioned themselves as a family-friendly company. And they know that a lot of kids are playing the games. And I think when Microsoft and Sony just kind of dove into the online multiplayer thing, there was still that hesitation from Nintendo to just kind of go all in. So there were all of these measures in place to make sure that if a kid's playing online, he's playing online with friends versus, I don't know, some pervert playing out of his kid's base, out of his mom's basement or something. But, you know, as multiplayer becomes more of a regular thing and, you know, everyone's doing it. I mean, kids have, channels where they YouTube themselves playing Fortnite. So they were obviously missing out on something. So I think that's why they've become more comfortable doing that. And like you said, the cross-platform play with the Pokemon Go and uh, what was it? Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee that they yeah brought them together. And I kind of feel like that's kind of a because Pokemon Sword and Shield comes out before Animal Crossing does. Animal Crossing doesn't come out till next year. And I think how they make the interface work in Pokemon will be a good proving ground for Animal Crossing next year. Now, I know you're not really a big fan of it, but I'm a huge Animal Crossing fan. And I think Animal Crossing has been the best exhibition of online play for Nintendo. The fact that you can have other people come to your town, they can get resources, you can go to other people's towns, you have a chance to have people get creative and whatnot, and you kind of get a the ultimate chance to do that in this upcoming game because you literally can create the entire town you're on. You start off on like a deserted island and you build it all to your own specifications. You know, in a way, it's almost kind of taking it back to the Sims days and let, letting other people see your virtual town and see what you can do so i feel like they've kind of they've had some pitfalls with like smash brothers there's still some lag and stuff online playing with people um and you have mario kart and the fact that you can race with people and they've been streamlining but i think this whole collaborative 
measure that they're going to be taking on Pokemon Sword and Shield, if that goes well, I feel very confident that it'll go even better with Animal Crossing next year. Yeah, my only issue with Animal Crossing is that it's too realistic of a capitalism simulator. Because I, I played the first one and just always being in debt to Tom Nook pretty much against your will was just kind of depressing after a while. Like you sp- <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. I hustled. I got fruit. I sold fruit. I sold furniture. I did favors for people. I got out of debt. I eventually. never made it that far. And that's too similar to my life. Um, but that whole doing Craigslist odd jobs to pay Tom Nook only for him to expand on your home without your permission and then charge you for it. Tom Nook is a serious villain. I don't think anyone acknowledges that. Yeah, he would give Scrooge McDuck a run for his money. <laughs> He's up there with Thanos. I hope everyone realizes that. Well, so I guess as far as multiplayer goes, what are the games that you play that are multiplayer nowadays, Christian? I'm really just all into my Switch right now, so it's really just Smash Brothers and Tetris 99. I might hop on Fortnite every now and then, which I think that leads us into why we wanted to talk about this, because Fortnite is strictly a multiplayer game. It's there's I think there is a storyline to it, but it costs money and no one wants to do that. So the main point of Fortnite is that it's purely a multiplayer game. We're seeing that with PUBG, Player Unknown, Battleground. Um, there's one on it's not I think Overwatches, but um Warcraft on the Switch. Tetris 99, we're starting to see this Battle Royale format become more and more popular. And it's kind of cool where we are in multiplayer play that we can have servers with 100 people on them. But one thing that also interested me was the cross-platform play. How Xbox and Sony have finally agreed to allow people on one system to play with people of a different system. I wanted to know, how do you feel about that? So, yeah, it's it's been a thing that, I guess, behind the scenes, I'm not sure how it works uh, infrastructure-wise as far as the servers and whatever Sony does for their online platform, whatever Microsoft does for their own online platform. I don't know how hard it is technically uh, for them to work, but the fact that they are working together is pretty dope. The biggest thing I think that's been stopping a lot of console players from playing with PC players is in previous generations has been people making mods and hacking and doing different things on the PC version, especially like back in the day with shooters, you had aim bots and different things that would make you seem like a better uh, shooter on the PC, especially with the keyboard versus a controller. But, I think with the right countermeasures, I think all you're going to do is energize your fan base, right? Like, imagine, like, I'm a big Overwatch player. Being able to play Overwatch on the PC with your friends and also being able to play it on the Xbox and the PS4 and everybody being able to be in the same servers, you're going to have people buying people buying the games because they know that they're going to be able to play them together. Kind of getting back to the friends thing that you mentioned earlier. If you have friends... Like, hey, let's all get this game. Sorry, man, I got the PS4. 
oh, I only have a PS, I only have a PC. But if everybody can play together, I mean, to me, it's profit at the end. It's more profit. And this is where Christian puts on his tinfoil hat. Because, as you mentioned, it's more profitable. It's almost unnecessary to have multiple consoles. And I think in a couple of generations, we're going to see pretty much the disappearance of the home console. You're just going to have developers making games. And I think the price of video games are going to skyrocket after cross-platform play. Because there's no need for competition anymore. Well, I don't think it's going to be a couple more uh, platforms. I think it's... I think we're here, right? So, Google Stadia, I don't know how much you know about that, but it's Google's attempt at a streaming-only platform for video games and... I think it's one of those type of things where I don't think it's going to do very well, but it's, you know, it's an attempt of getting your toe in the water of streaming platforms, which is a big thing nowadays, whether you're talking about music, whether you're talking about watching video or even video games is not necessarily owning the physical copy of something and getting that from some other, usually, you know, lock behind some type of paywall access to something that stores the data that you can pull and make use of it. Um, yeah, I think, shoot, with the advent of the PS5 and whatever I think uh, Xbox does next, and I think we're probably one generation away from, you know, digital-only consoles, or at least the ability to do that. We'll see. If only there was a podcast with an episode... That was dedicated to online versus physical content. I like what you did there, Brother Lee. Yeah. <laughs> Go back in the vault at Limp Series, faithful listeners. We, we've already touched on this topic in great detail. But we didn't cover the Google project, with which, I mean, I think the only real miss Google has had is with Google+. Plus. I mean, yeah, that was their Facebook wannabe, right? Yeah. I don't think anybody really used it. I had a profile, but I think you kind of had to if you used your Gmail frequently. But all of that aside, it's kind of funny how far we've come in multiplayer video games. Because it used to be you had to share a screen. So I actually looked it up. The first video game was Pong. So I assume that's our first multiplayer video game. Well, that's a good point, yeah. And I think it came in people's TVs. 1958. Jesus Christ. And kind of looking at Google Stadia and this idea of streaming only video games and looking at PUBG, uh, looking at Fortnite, looking at some of these other games that have become battle royales. I don't know. And I think the biggest market right now in the last five years is free to play. And I think that's the combination i think what all these games have in common you know overwatch there wasn't there was a thought of it becoming free to play but they decided not to you still have to pay i think 30 40 bucks for the game but a lot of companies are entering the market with free to play shoot i think if world of warcraft isn't free to play now it's it's probably getting there and people paying for skins and all these other type of things and it's weird. I haven't really gotten into it, but this whole loot box thing where you can play a game for free, but you're willing to invest $50, I guess, in your favorite costumes and stuff. I mean, if you want to do it, that's fine. But I think the con 
of it is that a lot of getting back to our earlier conversation, a lot of companies will become incentivized to put out a game that's 50% knowing that there's an audience that's going to play it anyway, but it's going to be at the cost of more and more studios making subpar products, knowing that they'll just, they're counting on making it on the back end because, you know, little Timmy's going to steal his mom's credit card and spend $60 on that new emoji dance or whatever. You, you laugh, you make jokes, but I know a woman whose uh, son did that, took her card and started buying Fortnite stuff. So, but hey, the, the model works. Yeah, I'm about to say, is Timmy still alive? Oh, yeah, yeah, he, he lived. Uh, I think he had his Fortnite privileges removed for a week, but he lived to tell the tale, and I'm I'm sure the creators of Fortnite weren't upset at him for it, didn't give him a refund or anything, like, hey, you know, just gotta chalk that one up to the game. Get it? Moving on! <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think, yeah, like you're right, the model does work, and I guess... That's ultimately going to be what kills console exclusives, right? Like you said, there's really no reason to have to be like, well, I have to go get this console because I want this particular video game. I mean, the main reason for it is, of course, is money. Microsoft wants you to buy their console because they want you to, you know, make money off their hardware. Because most of these, I think most of the companies... They don't make money off the... I think Nintendo may be the only company that makes money off its hardware. Sony and Microsoft make money off their software. make money off the video games. They lose money on the hardware. So, yeah. I mean, the fact that you'd eventually maybe have a streaming-only streaming only console, you save money on building, you know, making discs, making cases. You know, most games nowadays don't even come with instruction manuals. Try to save as much money as they can with production. So, yeah, I guess that is just the future. It's just eventually going to happen regardless. I remember when I first saw on the inside of the game and said, hey, if you want to learn how to play the game, go to this website here. That's when I knew we were heading to dark times. So I guess with that being said, is there still a market for, I guess, co-op or I guess they call it couch co-op where you have somebody in the room with you? That seems to be such a bygone concept. Okay, so... I think screen sharing is very niche now. There's a couple of games on the Switch that... The Switch itself is very accommodating for screen sharing. You know, you can take off the two controller, the two Joy-Con controllers. I hate that name. I, I love Nintendo. It's my favorite game company, but they just find a way to make... Everything sounds so stupid. Anyway, it comes out the box ready for two people to share a screen and play. Now, there aren't many games where that's an option, but it comes out the box ready for it. So, And, and not everyone is going to be owning two consoles or only plays online. My wife and I, we play games together on the TV because we're, you know, right there. So I think there's always going to be space for it. I just don't know if it's going to be nearly as popular as before it was an option. You know, I still remember playing 
Goldeneye, back when it first came out, everybody sharing a screen, looking at where your cousins were on the screen and on the map, and then going to them and killing them. But they're also watching you, so you're pretty much just chasing each other. There was an element of strategy to it. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was Halo and Mario Kart. You know, of course, Mario Kart, you could look at and see where somebody else was to try to strategize and which item you're going to use to try to trip them up and whatnot. The irony, I think, of couch co-op or just split screen sharing on one monitor, the irony is that the TVs are getting bigger, but we're not making use of it, yet we split screened on like 20-inch TVs or even smaller back in the day. That is wild. I never thought of that. Like the <laughs> But you know, there's still party games. Um I know PlayStation had some watered down version of it, but there's still, you know, Mario Part Nintendo's really good, like I said, about making games to where you don't have to leave you can all be in one room and still play rather. Yeah, and I think like you mentioned the Switch, the Switch now because of the price point of it and the fact that you're literally holding like almost like an iPad-like device that can play 720 natively, you can do local co-op so everybody on the same Wi-Fi network can all share. So you still, you're kind of holding your own screen playing the same game together, which is pretty dope. You can have one person in the back of the house, you can have one person on the couch, you know, it's, it's real conducive to that. And I mean commenters will say I'm an, an I'm a Nintendo fanboy. I'm fine with that. <laughs> Same here. The unofficial Nintendo fanboy podcast. Until next month when Spider-Man comes out, then we're the unofficial Marvel <laughs> boys again. Wait, uh oh yeah, no. Dang. Far from home does come out next month, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. We didn't get out of our bag at all. <laughs> so yeah, I just I just find that interesting. Yeah, as the screens get bigger, we're more and more unwilling to share the bigger real estate with somebody else. But it makes sense because your companies want people to buy multiple systems. Also, there's this push towards VR. So I think that that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, as far as a multiplayer. So thing. everyone will have their own headsets. Hmm. And I think that works into what you were saying earlier about the virtual content you know you get your little headset if it already has a game pre-programmed into it you just need your uh i guess you just need your space where moving around is okay and if you have your space where moving around is okay you don't really need a console i'm personally not a huge fan of vr because i'm nervous about the aspect of having a looking through I think a lot of people already have eye problems because we're always on our phones, we're always on our computers for so many hours or on our iPads or tablets, whatever, so many hours of the day. And the fact that you're going to get a device and it's going to be even closer to your eyes, you know, you imagine people playing games like imagine like Fortnite or something like that. People will have like six hour sessions of that. And now it's like right on my eyes. I'd be very interested in looking at the data for people's eyesight deteriorating you know in the first iterations of these vr headsets okay okay foil hat coming back on the video game industry is really created by 
the eyeglass companies. Our vision improves. They have to sell more glasses, more contact lenses. They make more profit, and we don't even know. Well, our vision gets worse, not improves. That too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The foil hat messes up my grammar sometimes. My bad. And that's just going to be weird anyway, right? So you're talking about, and this kind of works in multiplayer, because imagine... I think the one I think the one genre that multiplayer they've delved into it a little bit, but there's not hasn't really been a way to really make it work has been horror games. Horror games are usually a single player experience. I mean you have a couple party games. You you know, you've had the uh I think the was it the Jason they did a Jason uh, co op game where you had to escape Jason and escape the area, I think a year or two ago. You had like Evolve, I think, where one person's the monster. You've had Left for Dead. So you've had party game attempts at it, but like a super serious horror game where everybody's in it and you experience it together and you have to work together. I think that's the one genre that VR may be perfect for that. That sounds terrifying, but I think that's also why it would work. I thought I thought you said Horde, and I'm like, no, Gears of War did an amazing job with horde mode oh yeah there's a reason that like every game had a horde mode for like a good two three years mm-hmm. uh call of duty zombies but yeah that's just that's just gonna be interesting like i wonder with vr are you gonna have to attach kind of like when people do like the the smart watches where it can like monitor your heart rate and whatnot because imagine somebody with you know weak heart function playing a horror game like you know, this is—it's just going to be interesting with VR. Like the—if you get the sensory deprivation so well that people forget that it's not reality. Like, what happens? Dude, let me put it like this: I went to Dairy Queen last night, and I came back, and I had two blizzards in my hand, so I'm not capable of using my hands. And so, you know, I kicked on the door for my wife to open it, and while I'm waiting there, a moth flew in my ear. And it scared the manliness out of me. I screamed like a little girl for the entire neighborhood to hear, screaming to be let in. Because a moth was buzzing around my ear, and I didn't expect it. There will be people physically, how do you put this, evacuating themselves if we get these VR horror games, which people will want. So I understand it's just Christian won't be playing that. That's going to be a hard that's going to be a hard one to deal with the I guess the moral implications like how do you sell a VR horror game to somebody that you know is easily prone to be scared and possibly can have a heart attack. And I guess getting into multiplayer cuz even like you look at even like a shooter games, right? You're talking about sensory like gunfire whizzing by, whatnot, you know. How do you even something as simple as like a puzzle game, somebody getting too mad and, you know, let's say throwing the headset or, you know, it's just going to be interesting as far as multiplayer and just how people deal with rage quitting and just different things when you're actually feel like you're immersed in the game. With VR multiplayer, the one thing you'd have to watch out for is that you can't have two people playing beside each other. Like, if we do VR multiplayer, you'll have to be a good, a safe distance away from each other because 
you'll have people literally colliding into each other. The earliest, I think the earliest example of that was the Wii, right? P- two people playing the Wii game in the same room and having to be careful, you know, if you're playing Mark, if you're playing tennis or the boxing game or something like that, like, you know, your swing could accidentally hit somebody else. Like that was, that was probably the accident. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or the number of people who accidentally swung the Wiimote, didn't have the strap on their wrist and ended up hitting the TV or something. <laughs> Oh man, I didn't even think about all that. But I, I do like the idea of online multiplayer because it allows people to. So when my buddy was stationed in Korea, you know, after we got the timing right, we were able to still keep in touch through playing the game. So I do like that aspect of it. The forced multiplayer aspect is not as comforting to me because like with Pokemon, maybe I want to get into a raid battle with strangers or a computer because I don't have many friends who'll be playing shield and sword with me. Now that might just be on me because I'm 30 and Pokemon's probably not made for 30 year olds. Probably. I don't think so. I'm not here to judge you, Christian. I'm not here to judge you, man. (laughs) Barry, we the same age. Careful with the judgment. <laughs> you didn't. You didn't have to. You didn't have to tell on me like that, goddamn. Yeah. <laughs> they thought these were the sultry tones of a, of a eighteen year old. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So, <laughs> if you believe it, I believe it. I guess. But I don't like the idea of forced multiplayer, and I don't mind the idea of screen sharing. Now, I can see where it's different for shooters versus a racing game. And while I have fond memories of screen sharing, competitive shooters, probably not so much. Now, Borderlands being a couch co-op shooting, I think that's fine. So I guess getting getting down to it, is there a hard line where multiplayer should not enter into a particular video game. Are there certain types of video games where multiplayer should just stay away from? Mm. Okay, so my first example of a terrible multiplayer experience was The Legend of Zelda Four Swords. And not only because of the co-op, but the amount of hardware necessary to play it. It was a GameCube game that you had to have four Game Boy Advances, four connector cables from the Game Boy to the GameCube, which you also needed the GameCube for, and the game. So you've put like 200 it not even counting the Game Boy, but you put like $200 worth of accessories into one game. So as long as the multiplayer isn't essential to the single player experience, I'm okay with it. Hmm, interesting example. And I guess another instance of the game maybe being before its time because of the hardware requirements. Um, uh, for me, I guess a lot of it is just story driven. I guess I just I pay a lot of attention to story. You know, role playing games are my favorite genre, role playing and probably platformers. And I guess for me, multiplayer works as an add-on to a single-player experience you know i guess the biggest example for me is 
Mass Effect is very much it was a story driven game, which I guess a lot of those games are becoming more and more niche nowadays anyway. But if you wanted to play the multiplayer, you could play it, but it wasn't necessary. You know, on the other hand, you have something like Titanfall, which I really did like, this, especially the second one. I, I was a big fan of the uh, Titanfall game, you know, mech, mech fighting and that kind of thing. I kind of wish they did a third one where the first game pretty much tried to shoe in a story on a game that was pretty much just supposed to be a multiplayer game. You kind of felt cheated paying a $60 price tag for it. That's one of those reverse examples where it's just kind of like, you know, just be straight up with the consumer. We know what this is. Like if it's multiplayer, charge us 30 bucks and maybe do like a do like an Overwatch model. You you pay 30 bucks to get into the game. And if you want to, you can have loot boxes or whatever that you can pay for later on if you don't want to level up. But they don't cost your experience of the multiplayer because you can buy better weapons and stuff like that. Just make it be, you know, a different type of mech that looks cool or something like that. No pay to, what do you call it? Uh, pay to win. Yeah, no pay to win mechanics. But then there's also, we mentioned earlier, and I know I've complained about it, at least every other episode, Fallout 76. Taking a traditionally single-player experience, but then forcing people to play it in a multiplayer environment where it just didn't work. You kill the soul of the franchise doesn't work, especially when there's not much thought being put into the game. Yeah, and I guess it just gets down to not every franchise needs to be turned into a multiplayer experience. And I understand there's more money in it, especially some of these projects. They sink so much money into the development of it. You're hoping to make it on the back end, but man, it kills certain franchises. I mean, Andromeda was kind of killed for that. They tried to shoo in multiplayer into that. And I mean, there's a whole other reasons why Mass Effect Andromeda didn't work, but not everything could be Fortnite. No, um, I think traditional single player experiences, if that's their strength, need to stick to that. Um, A prime example is, like I just said, The Legend of Zelda. No real reason for that to be a multiplayer game. Also, we didn't talk about it, but Breath of the Wild 2 trailer. Oh my gosh, I'm excited. Which is how you make money off of a single-player experience. If it's a good single-player experience, just build on the franchise. Like game, like companies were doing before the, multiplayer, the online multiplayer craze. I guess getting down to it, you know, multiplayer is never going away. And especially as Wi-Fi and internet becomes cheaper and more accessible... And faster, you know, fiber and everything else, gigabit lines, as it just becomes more commonplace just to have that. It's just going to get more pervasive, you know, the whole idea of just streaming and not even owning your video games. Maybe maybe in a kind of like music streaming, right? You can pay for Spotify, you can play for Google Play, you can play for Tidal, pay for Tidal. It may turn into a service-oriented thing in the future, like where you say you don't have actual consoles you're paying a Google Stadia, you're paying Sony, you're paying like for a connection just to be able to stream it 
to your laptop or something like that. And you just plug in a computer or something like that. I mean, plug in a uh, controller and you play it just like that. That may be the future, maybe two iterations down the road. And I think we should cut it here because once again, there's a podcast out there with an episode dedicated to specifically our thoughts on virtual versus physical media. We're so ahead of our time. We do this and don't even think about it. (laughs) We're so ahead of our time. We're ahead of our time. Bars. (laughs) Okay. This is a good conversation. And for everybody else, you know, E3 has passed us by. But do you have any particular games that you're thinking about or excited about? One game that I haven't talked about that's not privy to this conversation, speaking on being a RPG nerd is Divinity Original Sin, the sequel. They're making the third one, and they're making Baldur's Gate 3. So, I mean, I'm putting on my nerd Dungeons and Dragons hat. But, hey, you like what you like. <laughs> now, um, pretty much the Nintendo uh, Pokemon Sword and Shield and the Breath of the Wild sequel, which... I've heard nothing but good things about Breath of the Wild. I just haven't had a Switch time or money in either whenever I didn't have one and I had or whenever I had the other two, I didn't have one. So that never quite lined up, but it just looks gorgeous. And from what I did play of Breath of the Wild, I can't wait for it. Nothing really else on the horizon that I'm peeping for except for Borderlands 3 and I want to see what Sony's going to do during their exclusive event. Well, all right. Good conversation this week. We'll go ahead and wrap this one up. We hope you like the talk on multiplayer and E3 and just a little roundtable discussion on video games. Continue to follow the Atlimp series on SoundCloud. Email us at atlimpseries at gmail.com for any questions, you know, Eventually, we get people who hit us up. We might do a little email episode or at least an email segment. But you got to show us love first. Yeah, so join in on the conversation. Critique us or even just share what you're thinking in general. Thanks for joining us this week as we talked at length.